After years of speculation, one of the great mysteries of the art world has finally been resolved. We now know who bought Hunter Biden's doodles. According to the news outlet Insider, Hunter's buyers include major Democrat donors. Can you believe it? One such donor is a woman named Elizabeth Hirsch Naftali. She has given a bunch of money to Joe Biden's campaign and to the Democrat National Campaign Committee. She's hosted fundraisers with Kamala Harris. She is a Democrat muckety-muck. And what do you know, right around the time that Naftali bought some of Hunter's art, Hunter's father, the president, named her to a prestigious political commission, the Commission for the Preservation of America's Heritage Abroad. And Naftali is just one of the buyers. Another buyer, whose identity remains unknown, apparently spent $875,000 on Hunter's scribbles. All in all, Hunter's art show generated $1.3 million in sales. And who knows how many presidential appointments. It's a big grift, of course. We all knew that. Hunter's art is terrible, and his only notable accomplishments are petty crime. So the only reason anyone could possibly have for buying his junk is to curry favor with his dad. It's just a plain old bribe. And yet, more evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors, all of which add up to an increasingly plain fact. It is time for Republicans to impeach Joe Biden. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show, Snow White, the new Snow White. She's not, she's not white. It's not more of a dusky color, a little bit swarthier. I say this as a member of the swarthy community. She, the, the not being typecast is the least of it. She just gave an interview in which she has persuaded me that I think at most seven people are going to go see this movie. We will get into why what Disney is doing is so bad and stupid. First, though, major movement in geopolitics and major movement with the leaders of nations. And coincidentally, one of those big movements is right here in Hungary. So this week I'm in Hungary. I am now officially a Hungarian author. My best-selling blank book, Reasons to Vote for Democrats, a Comprehensive Guide, has been translated into Hungarian and it's been released. Uh, it was released yesterday. And so I'm on the ground in Hungary. I'm doing my book tour here. And I will cap that off with a speech at the MCC, which is one of the big think tanks at the MCC Fest, a big political event here in Hungary. That will be on Friday. Uh, past American speakers include our friends Dennis Prager and Tucker Carlson. And I will, I will hopefully follow their acts as the, the U.S. and the West broadly are looking at the prospect of World War III, which the Hungarian president just brought up uh, yesterday in Transylvania. So we'll get to that in one second. First, though, I want to get to our political leader, Joe Biden, and I want to get to this point that I have held off on for a long time. You can't say that I've been rushing toward this or I've been hyperbolic or anything like that. I have always been pushing the brakes on 
a purely politicized impeachment. Now is the time to impeach. The, the legal predicate is there. I don't think impeachment is just a political act. I don't think it's just when the opposition party gets the House, then we impeach the guy who's in the White House. That's not how it's supposed to work. There's a legal basis for it. Biden meets that basis. The evidence of the bribes and the high crimes and misdemeanors, it's so apparent now. We have terabytes and terabytes of his son's laptop proving this certainly showing a lot of evidence for it. So the, the time has come. And I'm not the only one saying it. And Lauren Boebert is not the only one saying it. And Jim Banks and the House Representatives, they're not the only ones saying it. Kevin McCarthy as well, Speaker of the House, is floating the prospect of impeaching Biden. This is rising to the level of impeachment inquiry, which provides Congress the strongest power to get the rest of the knowledge and information needed. Because this president has also used something we have not seen since Richard Nixon, used the weaponization of government to benefit his family and deny Congress the ability to have the oversight. I believe we will follow this all the way to the end, and this is going to rise to an impeachment inquiry the way the Constitution tells us to do this, and we have to get the answers to these questions. The only part I don't like there is the Nixon dunking, okay? We need to, we need to stop knocking Richard Nixon. Richard Nixon, he made some political mistakes as president, and some of his policies were kind of wrongheaded, but Richard Nixon got done wrong. He was the first conservative, the first Republican to get done in by the deep state while he was in the White House. It was the test run for what happened to Trump. Richard Nixon is a far better man than any of the Democrat presidents in my lifetime. The reason the libs hate him so much, the reason that the deep state hated him so much is because Richard Nixon was right about Alger Hiss. And Richard Nixon, when he was up on Capitol Hill, pointed out that there were communists in the government working for the State Department, including a top State Department official, a top lib named Alger Hiss, who was instrumental in the founding of the UN, and everyone called Nixon crazy, and they attacked him, and he held firm, and he was right. Alger Hiss was a dirty, rotten, freaking commie, and we proved it. They never forgave him for it. And so the deep state threw him out of office for some complete nonsense, tape on a door for some campaign dirty trick that the Democrats have played every campaign 10 times, whatever the Republicans have done. So, okay, that's a little bit of a digression. I get, I get very defensive of my tricky dicky. But, but beyond that, what do we mean that Richard Nixon, we haven't seen the weaponization of government like this since Richard Nixon. What about Barack Obama, who weaponized the IRS against his political opponents, against a group that I was a member of, the Friends of Abe, the conservatives who were in show business in Hollywood and New York. Barack Obama wielded the government agencies against his political enemies all the time. This has been a pattern that we've seen on the left, and it's been done on the left way more than it's been done on the right. And that's not even the reason that this meets the, the standard for impeachment. We've got evidence of corruption. We've got evidence of, of bribery. We've got evidence of high crimes and misdemeanors. Why not? Why not impeach him? Because we're going to uh, ruin people's trust in our institutions. I'm pretty sure that ship sailed, guys. Well, because if we do it to them, they'll do it to us. They've impeached Trump, what, like a hundred times already? And they're going to do, keep doing it if he gets it back into office. The time has come. Why? Because that, that means we'll get Kamala Harris. We're heading into a presidential election. Who cares? The time has come, folks. The time has also come for you to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 989898. We are days away from the Durban Accords, the greatest threat to the U.S. dollar's global dominance in the past 80 years. On August 22nd, BRICS nations, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, are expected to announce the launch of a new international supercurrency, fully backed by gold or other commodities. This is part of their long-term plan to supplant the U.S. and the dollar 
as cornerstones of the global financial system. You can protect your IRA or 401k from the fallout from this landmark announcement by diversifying with gold from Birch Gold. Historically, gold has been a safe haven in times of high uncertainty, which is right now. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Protect your savings with gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers. Text Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, to 989898. Get your free info kit on gold. If a central bank digital currency becomes a reality, it will be nice to have some gold to depend on. Text Knowles right now, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to 989898. So, of course, right when the Republicans are on the brink of actually doing something, right? When they are on the brink of wielding their political power to impeach the president, to maybe try to wrest some power back from the liberals, they're going to distract us with a bunch of flying saucers. Of course, of course we need a distraction. So now the House is going to hold urgent hearings on UFOs. They're here Capitol Hill braces for the UFO invasion with an epic House committee hearing. That's right. We got it, baby. We're getting the UFOs over here. I have one question. I have one question about the UFOs. Forget, I'm going to put aside, I know Matt Walsh and I have an ongoing debate where I point out that extraterrestrial aliens don't exist and Matt says a bunch of nonsense. I'm not even having that debate right now. I'm just, all I'm asking is this question. How come China doesn't have hearings on UFOs? How come Russia doesn't have urgent hearings, urgent meetings of the senior leadership about all the extraterrestrials, ET, coming to planet Earth? How come, if you look at a map of all the UFO sightings around the world, how come, I'm not saying all of them are in the West, in the United States and Europe, but how come the vast majority of them are? What's that about? Is this really an urgent thing? Do you really believe, do you really seriously believe that little green men are the most or even a remotely urgent problem facing our nation? Or do you think it is bread and circuses, distraction, perhaps sincere fantasy, but perhaps cynical distraction nonsense. Which do you think is more likely? Seems pretty clear to me. But, hey, hey, former Pentagon officials, former intelligence agency people, they swear up and down that we in the United States, we're in possession of technology from outer space. The objective here, I think, and the opportunity is for the American people to come to better understand why it is that so many in Congress actually take seriously the idea that there are UFOs, UAP that are violating U.S. airspace and the associated rumor allegation that we may have in our possession off-world technology recovered from someone else's space program. I've been told that we have recovered technology that did not originate on this earth by officials in the Department of Defense and by former intelligence officials. Notice it's always, I've been told by very credible anonymous people. I, listen, one time, one t- seriously, you're not going to believe this. My my mother's cousin's best friend from work, her boss 
Ziz's nephew worked at a defense contractor and he talked to the janitor who once overheard some kind of anonymous guys talking about how there are definitely UFOs. Yeah, and you can take that to the bank. Uh-huh. So that's why we need to have these hearings. We need to have these hearings so that the American people can understand why members of Congress might believe in extraterrestrial aliens. I'm not speaking ill of members of Congress. I like a great many members of Congress. Some of my dear friends are members of Congress. There are members of Congress who believe all sorts of things that are not true, not rational. There's a member of Congress who once in a, in a public hearing asked if putting too many people on the island of Guam would cause the island to capsize. Okay, the fact that a handful of kooky congressmen think that E.T. is out there trying to make contact with us, that doesn't convince me. And the fact that anonymous deep staters, anonymous people whose job it is to conduct psyops are anonymously telling us that there are little green men out there, I just... I just don't believe it. Think about how the quality of cameras has improved in the last, forget the last 50 years, in the last five years, in the last two years. The quality of the camera on your iPhone could shoot in a super duper ultra high definition feature film. And yet the quality of footage of UFOs has remained exactly the same since 1945. There has been no improvement. It's always... For some reason, when the cameras, no matter how advanced they are, encounter aliens or Bigfoot, the footage gets really grainy. I don't know why that is. It's really strange. Just don't believe it, folks. Why would the government be putting this out there, though? I guess we have to address that question. Well, a few reasons. Uh, one, it could be our technology, and we're trying to be cagey about it. Two, it could be the technology of an adversary. I don't really believe that. I don't think that China, for instance, has technology much more advanced than ours. Not yet, at least, though that's an issue that we'll get to in a second. Uh, it could be that actually we've depleted a lot of our, our defense infrastructure. And as China is rising so quickly, it could be that we're trying to bluff. I think it was Darren Beatty who made this point. He said that he thinks that the Pentagon and the deep state are just trying to bluff and convince China that we're in possession of ET technology. It's a little bit outlandish, but it's not as outlandish as little green men coming to Earth. The evidence for which is nil, it's zero. It's just the, the media, how do we know that there are little green men? Because the media tell you so, and because anonymous people at the Pentagon and shady figures in the, the intelligence agencies tell you so. The, the people who lie all the time, <laughs> whose job it is to lie, are the ones who have convinced you that this is likely. Uh, doesn't seem very likely to me. Seems like a nice distraction, huh? What do you, what, who are we going to impeach? What are we going to do about immigration? What is that? What, have, what about the failing economy? Oh, look, a butterfly. That's not a butterfly. That's a flying saucer. Now, speaking of entertainment, we covered woke Snow White, no longer white, Snow Taupe, Snow Beige, Snow Swarthy, Snow, not, well, Snow's not swarthy. I don't, some kind of sediment or sand that is no longer blanc, uh, the, the new reboot of Snow White is going to have a Hispanic lady, and that's bad enough because it contradicts the story, and it does so for purely leftist political reasons. But this girl, this young woman, 
just explained the far more egregious changes to the story than the casting of this this out-of-place actress. You said you were bringing a modern edge to it on stage. What do you mean by that? I just mean that it's no longer 1937, and we absolutely wrote a Snow White that she's is... not going to be yeah. saved by the prince. She's not going to be saved by the prince, and she's not going to be dreaming about true love. She's dreaming about becoming the leader she knows she can be, and the leader that her late father told her that she could be if she was fearless, fair, brave, and true. And so it's just a really incredible story for, I think, young people everywhere to see themselves in. Snow White is running for president. <laughs> I'm launching my campaign. I am. How many dozens of people do you think are going to go see that? Maybe I'm being too optimistic. How many, how many couple of people do you think are going to go see that movie? (laughs) That sounds so, so terrible. The, The central feature of the movie, forget about the central feature of Snow White's character, namely that she's very, very white. It's in her name. Forget that. Actually, seriously, forget that for a second. This is the central feature of the movie is that it's a movie about love and that she is reawoken by by love. And they're taking the love out of it. No, it's not about Prince Charming and love anymore. It's about what a girl boss she is. Because that's what little girls dream of. They dream of being a girl boss. So insist, so insist the liberals. But that's not what little girls dream of ever, and it's going to flop, just like the, all the other ones flop. And the left bears a lot of responsibility for this because the left controls Disney and all of the other institutions in the country. But the right bears some responsibility too, because the right has gone along with this. The right has gone along with this kind of language that undermines love that, that undermines the family as the basic unit of society, that undermines traditional gender roles, that undermines traditional duty, period. The, the right has gone along with it because while, while for decades the right would, would pay some lip service to traditional family values, what would they say out of the other side of their mouths? They'd say, we, that's why we need creative destruction and we need to innovate constantly and we need everyone to go to work. For goodness sakes, President Trump, whom I love, he's my favorite president of my lifetime, but President Trump bragged about how low the women's unemployment rate is, which sounds nice until you think about it. What does that mean? He's bragging about how women are just going out and laboring in that widget factory. No, they're not staying home with their kids. No, siree, that would be retrograde. No, those women are going out there and working in the factory like they damn well should. Who needs a homemaker? Who needs a mommy at home? No, sir. We're conservatives. <laughs> Why would we support that? <laughs> so we bear a little responsibility to even the conservatives, even the greatest president in my lifetime. We have gone along with this. We've embraced a kind of feminism. We've embraced a kind of, a, a, more than a kind of individualism. We've embraced a kind of social radicalism. Some conservatives even want to want to be the progressives. We want to say, no, we're more progressive than the Democrats are. No, well, that's how you end up seeding all of the institutions to the left. That's how you end up with Snow Tope bragging about how there's not going to be any more love in a fairy tale. <laughs> there's not going to be any more love in one of the most cherished, beautiful stories in the American cinema. Now, speaking of women's issues, if you think that's bad, if you think it's bad that feminists are running Hollywood, just wait until you find out that apparently, because of our far-left administration, girl bosses are going to be running our military. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? You know, when I 
when I think about all that I admire in women, there are a lot of things that I admire in women, not in feminists, but in women, like real nice women, you know, how nurturing they are, how uh, empathetic they are, how uh, organized they are, how they can multitask. And one thing I really admire is how good they look. Well, when you want to look good, you got to check out GenuCell. Right now, head on over to GenuCell.com slash Knowles. Our friends over at GenuCell sold out of their dark spot corrector, and our listeners have been begging, begging like dogs on their knees for a restock. Well, I've got great news. Just in time for the summer, it's back in stock. GenuCell's famous dark spot corrector has not one but three cutting-edge ingredients, goes to work fast to target sunspots, dark spots, liver spots, even old discoloration, both on your face and your hands. You can now enjoy your summer sun, beach, and barbecues without embarrassing spots. GenuCell's most popular package also features their summer essentials, like their best-selling ultra-retinol moisturizer with a powerful retinol alternative for safe use in the sun. You will be amazed at how quickly you see results, or you get 100% of your money back guaranteed. I love the owner of this company, copped a Christian from Egypt, left for the American dream. Head on over to GenuCell.com slash Knowles right now. Get the dark spot corrector in the GenuCell most popular package. GenuCell.com slash Knowles. Save over 70-70%. All orders include a mystery luxury gift. Ooh, while supplies last. GenuCell.com slash Knowles. The greatest interview show on the internet, many people are saying it, yes or no, is more than just the most fun you can have on YouTube. It's also the best way to get to know your favorite YouTube stars, such as my friend, Brett Cooper. Does Brett think women should drive? Does Brett think Helen Keller was faking it? You will get those answers and so much more in our episode. Check out this tease. I admit. I do sympathize a little with Dylan Mulvaney because I too was once an impressionable theater kid and who knows what could have happened to me if I was cast in Rent on Broadway in my wayward youth. I sympathize with Dylan Mulvaney because I was a theater kid. Let's answer and I'll comment. One, two, three. Ah, uh, what a tease. That's why you got to go watch the whole episode. The yes or no game, by the way, the, the board game is back in stock. You go to dailywire.com slash shop to get your game today. These games go fast. Yes or no is hands down the best way to delve into the most thought-provoking topics of our time with your friends and family. Go to dailywire.com slash shop. Order yes or no today. Joe Biden is apparently picking the first woman ever to serve on the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And why is he picking her? Because she's a woman. Is he picking her because she's the most qualified for the job? No. Is he picking her because she was the number one person recommended for the job? No. He's picking her because she's a woman. And of course, a woman should run the military, right? Right? Uh, traditionally, women always run the military because they're so much physically stronger than men. And because they're so much colder and, and more calculating and, and able to deal with blood and guts and gore and death and really difficult decisions of life and death, life, right? That's why, right? Is that it? I'm not so sure. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin presented Biden with a series of choices for who would serve as the Navy's next top officer. And he picked uh, a dude, an, an Admiral Samuel Paparo, who currently leads the U.S. Uh, Pacific Fleet, uh, he was he was supposed to succeed 
the, and, and become the next chief of naval operations. And Biden decided, no, he was going to pick this lady. I have no knock on the lady. I seriously, I don't, I don't mean to knock her personally. I'm very grateful for her service. I admire her service. It's a wonderful thing to do. Ladies should not be running the military. They, they just shouldn't. Do you really believe even we have leftists who listen to this show and who write into me sometimes. We have leftists, we have feminists, we have all sorts of people. I appreciate that. And I think, and what some of you have told me is you listen to this show because I don't just give the GOP talking points and I spend probably just about as much time going after conservatives as I do going after the left. So I'm, I'm speaking to you now. I'm not only speaking to the conservatives, I'm speaking even to you, hardened feminist leftist listeners. You really think a lady should be running the military? You really, if you're being totally, you don't need to admit this to anyone publicly. You really think that? You do not. Men are soldiers. Men are killers. Men are physically tougher. Men, that's a job for a man, right? Yes, we can admit that. But you'll say, this lady, she deserves it. No, she obviously doesn't deserve it. She wasn't recommended for the job. Joe Biden just picked her because she's a woman. So you can't even say, well, you, you're right. Generally, men should, are better at running the military than women. But you know, in this case, no, she, she was just picked for being a woman. Well, but it's important that we pick her. Why? Why is it important? Because this breaks the glass ceiling and this shows that women can do anything. Yeah, well, women, women can be appointed to any position by liberal presidents, of course. What's the point of the military? Is the point of the military to make feminists feel good about themselves? Is the point of the military to present some radical and absurd notion that the sexes are indiscernible rather than complementary? Is that the point? No. The point of the military is to kill our enemies, okay? And as we have allowed the military, along with all of our other institutions, to fall into mission drift and mission creep, the position of the United States as the global hegemon has fallen into doubt. And our enemies have risen up to the point that now you have world leaders around the globe, and especially in the West, and actually in the country that I'm sitting in right now, Viktor Orban, who is probably the last man in Europe, the last person standing up for traditional, conservative, Christian, Western beliefs. That guy is now saying, because the U.S. has allowed itself to be weakened so much, we are in a very perilous moment, and we are on the brink, potentially, of war. Why is it good, why is it good to have a woman leading the military? It's not good for the military, not good for the country. I guess it's good for feminism, but feminism's bad for the country, too. You, you heard this whole argument some, some years ago, not all that long ago, with women in combat. Why is it good for women to be in combat? I think it's a, a national disgrace that we send women into combat. Maybe some woman wants to do it. Too bad. The military is not about your personal desires. It's about fitness and about killing our enemies, okay? And what we've been doing is putting the cart before the horse, and this has been the disease of our politics. We do it in pretty much every institution. We do it in Hollywood. We, we put some stupid woke message in, in, ahead of entertainment. That's why people don't generally see the movies anymore. Other than Barbie and Oppenheimer, when was the last time anyone talked about the movies? It was a very long time ago. We do it in the universities where we just promote people and admit people not based on whether they can handle the course load, but whether it will make us feel good about our multicultural priorities and, and wokeness and political correctness. Okay, well then the standards decline and then 
And then our elite no longer really knows anything. It's a, it's a big problem. And this, this just came out. I, I fly into Hungary. I'm not taking credit for this, but I fly into Hungary and Viktor Orban just comes out strong against further funding the Ukraine war. And Viktor Orban gives this great speech in Transylvania, presumably alongside Count Dracula and Count Chocula. And, but Viktor, Viktor Orban, they're the leader of Hungary, gives this speech. And he says, guys, you have, you, you were sleepwalking into World War III because all you leaders in the West are, are, living in fantasy land. He had a wonderful line in this speech. I encourage you to go listen to the whole speech or read it so you can read the English translation. In one, he says that if you're in European politics right now, if you mention Western values, the only values you're allowed to talk about are uh, mass migration, LGBT. What was the other one? Let's see. Hold on. I'll just look it up. I have a computer here when I'm on the road. It says mass migration, LGBT. Oh, and war. That's the, only, that's the third one. And, but then he comes to a more important point. He says, ladies and gentlemen, dear summer camp, the situation we're living in today, uh, in which day by day we are moving toward conflict. The question, the million dollar question is whether this conflict can be avoided. There are ever more studies and books on this, and I'm also working from them. One notable work says that in the last 300 years, there have been 16 occasions when a new champion global power has risen to pull alongside or overtake the world's leading power. The bad news is that of the 16 instances thus identified, 12 have ended in war and only four were peacefully resolved. In other words, dear friends, we are at the most dangerous moment in world politics today when the leading great power, the United States, sees itself sinking towards second place. Experience shows that the dominant great power tends to see itself as more benevolent and better intentioned than it really is and attributes malice to its challenger more often than is or should be justified, of course. Human nature. Consequently, the starting point for each opposing party is not the intentions of the counterpart, but its capabilities. Not what the counterpart wants to do, but what it is capable of doing. And thus, war is already in the making. This is what is called the Thucydides trap, named after the man who wrote the history of the Peloponnesian War between Sparta and Athens and who first identified the problem. And without going too much into the Thucydides trap and all sorts of international relations, gobbledygook, there is an even odder, perhaps providential coincidence here, which is that I, I was joking that I've now got the Hungarian translation of my blank book. Well, the epitaph of my blank book is a quote from Thucydides. It's a quote from the Peloponnesian War which says that this is not an essay to win the applause of the moment, but an enduring work for all time. And that is the work in which Thucydides observes this problem of, of, of a rising power and uh, clashing with the dominant power. And, and it's a problem that Victor Orban sees. And, and we can deny it. We can bury our heads in the sand. We can continue to turn away from the beliefs that made us great. We can continue to focus on complete and utter nonsense like LGBTism and flooding our country with foreigners and uh, funding wars all around the world. But that is not going to help us re remain in our dominant position so long as we are putting the cart before the horse and refusing to do the things that make us strong and great. That's very dangerous. I had this thought when I was traveling, which is that uh, I, I, I flew into Paris. I had a layover in Paris, and I flew to, to Hungary. And I was walking around, and I speak a little touch of French. You know this if you're a member uh, for the Membrum Segmentum. You know, I'll occasionally uh, fall into a little bit of French. <laughs> I will refer to the members as the crème de la crème. But my French is really terrible. I don't speak a lot of French at all. So I thought, okay, I could try to speak a little bit of French while I'm in the airport. Uh, but I don't really have to. You know why? Because I'm American. 
and we're the dominant power and everyone just does whatever we want. And, and every time I've had the privilege of traveling in the last 20 years, I've had that thought in the Middle East, in Europe, in South Asia, I get to, I get to do what, whatever I want. And people are just expected to speak English. And that's wild. That's because we're the dominant power and that is slipping. And maybe it's not irreversible. Maybe we could turn this thing around, but you've got to address that problem. And we're not doing it. We're not doing it. We're just being poisoned by leftism. And you want to talk about leftism and leadership. Really, really sad story out of Canada, out of America's top hat. There's a Toronto principal who was harassed by the libs and called a racist for no reason. In late April of 2021, this principal was brought to attend a training, a DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion training, by Kiki Ojo Thompson, who's some huckster race hustler, who presented a lecture to Toronto public school administrators and told them how virulent the racism was that afflicted Canadian society and said that Canada was a bastion of white supremacy and colonialism and that the horrors that were unleashed by colonialism and white, white supremacism and capitalism and sexism and thisism and thatism regularly destroyed the lives of non-white and women Canadians. Okay, so this guy, Richard Bilkso, is just stood up and said, no, you know, I don't really agree with that. And uh, I, I, he said, I, I think that teaching people this does an incredible disservice uh, to our, our learners. And so what happened after this was this race hustler, Kiki Ojo Thompson, made a big uh, example out of this poor guy, attacked him. He was just attacked by all these libs. He was defamed. He actually won a court case because of how brutally he was defamed. But it didn't matter. And the long and short of it is, very sadly, uh, this guy killed himself. And he killed himself. The family released a statement. And they said he killed himself because of the, the stress and the the reputational harm that was brought on by him being smeared by the left in a coordinated attack to be called a racist when, when he knew that he was not. I, I bring this up, you know, we obviously can pray for this guy's soul and pray for his family and everything. I, I bring this up though, not just as a cautionary tale for, uh, for what's going on in our politics broadly. I mean, it is a cautionary tale for you, for people who mostly just live in private life. You know, you're not running for office or something like that. And so you're living in private life. And sometimes even in mostly private life, you find yourself the object of the cancel mob. And you will be called, if you're going to be canceled, you will be called racist. Because in the West, racist is the worst thing that you can possibly be called. And there's there's a lesson to be learned from this tragedy and you got to learn it or when, God forbid, that, that mob turns on you, you could wind up in a, in a similarly dark place. We'll get to that in one second. First, though, we know that men and women are undeniably different, not just physically, but on a much deeper level. Ironically, the more the libs try to erase these differences, the more pronounced the differences become. For example, women are more nurturing than men, as we've said. That's a fact. Holding on to those facts and understanding them is essential. That is at the heart of Dennis Prager's new episode of PragerU's Master's Program. In this series, Dennis is sharing 40 years worth of hard-earned wisdom as he explores all kinds of topics, such as how to be a good person, hurdles to happiness, the case for marriage, 
This newest episode is extremely important because the more men and women understand each other, the more they will be able to accept and appreciate their unique differences. This is a fun episode. You don't want to miss it. Go to dailywire.com, become a member, and watch PragerU's master's program today. The lesson to take away here from this sad case of the Toronto principal who was smeared as a racist and defamed and became so depressed that he killed himself is he believed it. He made one crucial mistake. He took it seriously. He thought that when the libs were calling him a racist, they were sincere or they cared about whether that accusation was true or false, or that he thought that that was an accusation that is even made in earnest today. It's not. It's completely meaningless. Ann Coulter told me this when I was a college student. It really stuck with me. The moment the left calls you a racist, you know you've won the argument. The moment the left calls you a racist, you should dance for joy. You should dance for joy because it means you're a threat to them, and it means you've said something that they feel is undermining their absurd political program. You should, you should put that on a plaque and frame it and put it on your wall. You shouldn't do anything unjust. But assuming you're in this guy's position, you know you haven't done anything unjust. You, you've examined your conscience. You're going through, you say, I'm not, I don't think I'm not a racist. And not only forget about it, smile. Oh, you called me a racist? Okay, thanks. I guess I'm doing something right. I guess I'm doing something right, Libs. If I can get you to try to smear me, man, I guess I'm right over the target. It isn't real. And I know that uh, the, the right has broadly woken up to this. There are still some really nice, well-meaning people who they still don't get it. They still, they, they, they try to persuade the left. No, I'm not racist, actually. No, I'm not. Some of my very best friends are... In- it's like the scene that I keep going back to in Breaking Bad when the gangster is about to kill Hank's brother-in-law, the cop. He says, no, Hank, tell him you won't do anything. Tell him you're sorry. Tell him this. Tell him. He goes, oh, it doesn't matter what I tell him. The guy made up his mind 10 minutes ago. They made up their mind. They, it, it, Drew makes this point beautifully. Sometimes people will call someone a racial slur because they don't like the race. Much more often, when someone calls someone else a racial slur, it has nothing to do with whether that person likes a race or not. It's just that the person doesn't like the person he's insulting. And so because he doesn't like that person, he's going to use any attack he can to insult that person. If you go up, let's use a not a totally politically charged one. And I'm here in Eastern Europe anyway. If you go up to someone and you say, you dumb, stupid Polak, is that indicative of a deep-seated hatred of the Polish people? 999 times out of a thousand, no. It just means I don't like this person. I'm gonna I'm gonna use a naughty word. That's it. Now, speaking of leadership, we gotta get to the race. The race is really 2024 race. I don't want to talk about it too much every day because we're still in silly season, but I do want to follow it because this is one of the most interesting primary races in my lifetime. It's the most interesting primary race. The only other one that might be as interesting as 2016 because Trump came out of nowhere. This one's actually more interesting because we haven't seen a primary like this since 1888. We haven't seen a a primary like this since Grover Cleveland ran for a non-consecutive term, the only president in American history to to win non-consecutive terms. So the debate stage is set for now. There could still be a little bit of movement, so maybe you get one more candidate up there, but basically the stage is set. 
Seven candidates make the debate. Trump, obviously. Ron DeSantis, obviously. Vivek Ramaswamy surging now, in not only into third place, but on the heels of second place, on the heels of DeSantis. Uh, Mike Pence made it. Nikki Haley made it. And Nikki Haley is important because Nikki Haley has overtaken Ron DeSantis in South Carolina. So if DeSantis can't make a big showing in Iowa and New Hampshire and they get down to South Carolina and he's not even in second place there, the DeSantis campaign is probably done. Uh, the fact that Nikki Haley, who a lot of people counted out the moment she announced, is surged into to second in South Carolina shows you it's still a live race. And that's, that's good news for every candidate, including Ron DeSantis, I guess, especially Ron DeSantis right now, who's seen his numbers drop in recent days. Uh, Tim Scott's going to make the stage. Chris Christie, Chris Assange happening, baby, let's go. Uh, they, they've all made the stage. The problem for them is why would Trump show up? The reason Trump would show up is because maybe the polls are tightening and he'll look kind of weak or afraid or cowardly if he doesn't show up. But Trump brings the ratings. You and I might watch the primary debate if Trump is not there. I guess, I guess I'll probably watch it or I'll watch most of it. If Trump is there, I'll for sure watch it because you know it'll be entertaining. But, but forget about this. If you're listening to this show right now, you are paying closer attention to politics than 97% of this country, at least. What about the far greater number of people who are really only going to watch if it's interesting and who think that this is a snooze fest otherwise? I agree with the people boosting, certainly Vivek, the people boosting Tim Scott, the people boosting even Mike Pence, and certainly the people boosting Ron DeSantis, who say the the gaps in these numbers don't matter until they're face-to-face. But they've got to get Trump's numbers down if they want him to get face-to-face. Because right now, Trump has absolutely no reason to show up. And, and before we go, there's a, little, there's a little extra wild card in there, which is Glenn Youngkin's approval rating is exploding right now. Glenn Youngkin's approval rating in Virginia, Republican gov- new Republican governor of Virginia, is at 57%. Virginia is a blue commonwealth. How did he do it? Is it because he's a total squish? He's not a total squish. He's not quite as right wing as maybe some of us are, but he's not a total squish. Don't forget the, the successful parts of his campaign, the stuff that put him over the edge was when Glenn Youngkin was running on hardcore cultural issues, trans bathrooms in schools, on critical race theory in schools, real serious culture war issues, pulling 57% of Virginia. And Glenn Youngkin has thus far managed not to irritate President Kofefe in the way that Kofefe wants to murder Ron DeSantis. As of right now, I've never heard Donald Trump say one nasty thing about Glenn Youngkin. So if Glenn Youngkin can wait in the wings, maybe soak up a little bit of adulation, maybe put himself in a place where he's, he's a favorite of Trump for a cabinet post, a running mate perhaps, or that he is potentially in the wings if DeSantis collapses and Trump goes to prison, could be a very different race. Now, with all of that leadership, we're going to be looking around the broader Western leadership as I meander the streets of Budapest. If you're in town, go pick up a copy of my book. There's a very funny story on that book, by the way, which I'll get to. I guess I'll have to get to it tomorrow. In the meantime, if I don't see you on the Danube, I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. There will not be any member block this week because it's just, come on, we're in Eastern Europe, all right? They've got, they haven't built up the kind of infrastructure for the, they haven't built up the kind of infrastructure for the full-on creme de la creme experience just yet. 
And if we fall into World War III, they won't. But uh, I will look forward to the member block when I get back. In the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow.